The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about security. And I recently attended the Poneman Institute RIM Council, and I met this wonderful man and he is a brilliant security expert, so I invited him on the show, but it's fun. Sometimes I interview people and I haven't ever met them, but this time I did, and we have with us a uh, the CEO of Digital Defense Incorporated, and that is Larry Hurtado. And let me tell you about Larry Hurtado. He is He joined Digital Defense in August of 2002, and he has an incredible background before that. But prior to joining Digital Defense, um, Hurtado was co-founder and president of International Operations for Elastic Networks Incorporated. And during his tenure there, he held several key leadership positions, and in, in which were in support of the company's business growth. And they did incredible things and um, just you know, this is what led him to digital def- the, uh, digital defense in August of 2002. He, Hurtado introduced Etherloop-based uh, products to the market in 1999 as the company's vice president of research and development. Etherloop is an, in, an Ethernet-based digital subscriber line, okay, which we usually just think of as DSL technology. And um, he was very active in that and worked very hard with that. And prior to Elastic Networks, he held senior management positions at um, Norbell Networks. And he has done so much more. And really now as the CEO, he's doing some incredible things. We're going to find out a little bit more about digital defense. So Thank you so much for joining us from beautiful San Antonio. Oh, thank you, Mari. It is uh, it is uh, wonderful to be on the show with you. Yeah. So why don't you tell us, basically, what does digital defense do? Well, digital defense is a provider of security risk assessments. Now, security risk assessments, you sort of think of us as a testing organization. Uh, we basically are contracted to test the security mechanisms that organizations put in place to try to pr- protect their confidential information. And, you know, we when you think of security mechanisms, you can think of, like, information technology 
technology that's put in place that is specifically designed to thwart certain attacks. Uh, it can be the physical security at a client's location where, you know, you have certain uh, uh, cameras in place to watch people coming in and to and out of the facility, certain locks that you might have on doors, fences, etc. cetera. Uh, it could also be what type of training that employees receive to um, basically make them more aware of what different types of people might be doing in order to try to get access to the facility or get access to confidential information that the, that the company might have. So uh, we provide these testing types of solutions with the objective of trying to raise the awareness of security practices at the clients uh, that we serve. And, uh, and once again, we just offer a variety of tests in order to try to, uh, uh, to uh, help organizations keep their guard up, if you will. Yeah, I remember I had uh, Kevin Mitnick on my show a couple times mm-hmm. with regard to his books, you know, The Art of Intrusion and mm-hmm. The Art of Deception, you know, with all the social engineering. But there's lots of things with security. Now, you know, you and I have talked before that American business is um, really at high risk, whether it's a small company or a large company. And, and we know that 90% of all companies in this country are small businesses, but they are at high risk just as much as the big big companies and probably even more because they don't have all the the help that they need. So how can organizations really, you know, how can they incorporate security minded behavior to ensure that their workforce is, is, you know, not going to be too trusting? Well, it just, you know, from, you know, one we consider one of the weakest links in the information security chain, if you will, to be uh, people. And what we find is that organizations today, whether large or small, are still very much thinking that, you know, the once-a-year PowerPoint-type training package is going to be sufficient at raising that awareness level uh, with individuals to make sure that they're, you know, ready to fend off attacks. And it's unfortunately just not the case. I mean, the the attacks are getting more and more sophisticated. And frankly speaking, if you're doing a once a year training program, it's a high likelihood that if your organization is going to be focused in on for an attack, that they're going to be successful. So we really work with organizations to obviously test people uh, through social engineering techniques, as you just mentioned, as well as other types of uh, approaches. Um, But we also want to make sure that we offer training programs as a form of remediation, uh, a way to help individuals fend for themselves. And uh, we've offered a variety of new products recently that that help organizations do that. Uh, But the other thing, too, is that you know, the way in which organizations have historically protected themselves, uh, especially as it relates to their networks and the network security aspects of their businesses, uh, those previous techniques that they use have gotten very, very dated. Uh, You can sort of think of it as, you know, there's such a drive and a pressure for organizations to be competitive from the perspective of the types of services that they offer. They're putting a lot uh, of different forms of technology in place, especially in the mobile arena, to try to remain competitive. 
And if you're still using the same type of security mechanisms that you used years ago to try to uh, protect your network today, unfortunately, it's just not going to be successful. You know, I have to tell you, just recently I went to um, this tech seminar for attorneys, and it was these trial lawyers talking about all of these fantastic new things that they were using and and um and one of the one of the guys who was very excited and he's you know an older gentleman so it was kind of neat that he was using all this he was talking about um how he can use certain um video conferencing and sharing of data with all these and i don't want to mention any names of these softwares and um and how it was free or it was ten dollars a month and I'm sitting there thinking you don't get anything for free. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he's all excited. He's telling all these judges and these attorneys about this and um and so I after he explained how he's sharing all this confidential stuff and and um and and so I called you know, I raised my hand at the end if you had questions, I said, Well, you know, we have a duty to protect our clients' confidences and and privacy and a lot of this confidential data that you're going to use in your trial. And you're you're using this with co-consul that's all over the country. You know, what kind of security measures? He goes, oh, I'm sure they've taken care of that. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this is free. And I just I just really wonder what you're going to get for free. So he he just said, well, I'm sure they're taking care of it. So I didn't really want to make a big scene with all these judges and everything there. And one of the guys at the table who was sitting at my table said to me, you know, I was on that. He says, I got into their call by mistake with this guy and his co-counsel. <laughs> he wasn't opposing counsel. He was a, he was another guy, a friend of his. And he just called in and I went, oh my gosh, you know. So I think the reason I brought this up, and especially attorneys, you know, they might get excited about this technology, but they, you know, they're so busy trying to know their, their cases and keep up with the law that they haven't got a clue on security absolutely and privacy. And, you know, yeah, and you know, it's so funny because when you're talking about open source or freeware type solutions out there, it's just so important to know the origins of this software uh, because, you know, who, who knows who's made this technology available and what their intentions are. Right. And, un- and unfortunately, you can embed a lot of malware into these uh, solutions if you're not careful. And, you know, the information that you're putting into these uh, applications uh, will more than likely end up in places that they're not supposed to be and used for the wrong purposes. You know, I was at a similar conference not too long ago where somebody was talking about the benefits of social media and the importance of making sure that your information's out there to help you with a variety of, of uh, you know, uh, to, to address a variety of needs, if you will. You know, like, for example, if you're looking for a new job or whatever the case may be. Right. And they were talking about how, you know, putting all your information up there and getting really, really specific and detailed. And I asked the question, I said, <laughs> well, do you realize that social media is being used in a lot of, you know, identity theft scenarios right. or in actually going in and actually compromising corporate networks. I said, don't you think that you should, you know, put some practices in place uh, that would help minimize the likelihood that the information could be used in a, in a, in a, 
unauthorized way. And unfortunately, the presenter said, well, if you're, if you're worried about security, you shouldn't be using social media. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting there going, well, I don't know that you need to get that extreme. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that people are not looking at these things with security being top of mind. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not conscious of the things that can happen. They're so excited about the technology mm-hmm. or the apps or anything. And then it's like you and I, you come from the security side and I come from the privacy side. And I'm going, okay, let's talk about some of the ramifications and, and what could happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- when you're talking about social media, this guy also said, oh, he says, you know what? Uh, once I know the jurors, I go and I and I have, um, you know, my law clerks. They go in and they go in and look and they find out everything they can about these jurors on their Facebook page and their everything else. And he goes and I, and I thought to myself, you know, this isn't really so ethical either, you know. So uh, this technology is just taking over, and and um, I don't think that people are. Really, I don't think they have a culture of security or security consciousness. So, you know, um, you 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 talk about that. So, what does it mean to have a a culture of security? Well, you know, you just you, you know you have to reach a point. You know, I like to think of it as like if you're, you know, if you're watching an athlete. Let's say the athlete hasn't practiced very often, and he's having to really think about his movement, so it's not a natural reaction. Uh, you really need security to be so top of mind that it's sort of instinctual uh, that you know what to do in the different scenarios that you encounter from a day-to-day basis. You know, the the old concept of, uh, you know, wash, lather, rinse, and repeat, right? You just, <laughs> you, you just want it to get to that point yes. where it's just second nature, because when you are being subjected to attack, you know, your your brain's not going to sit there and go, okay, what was uh, information security best practice number three? <laughs> and right. and that's what we do is we basically help organizations by basically putting them through a regular regimen of testing so that uh, – and the testing is applied both from the perspective of networks as well as environmental. And so we're testing people, we're testing processes, we're testing actual – you know, the ways in which networks have been constructed and designed and what have you. And we do it on a regular basis because we believe that through that repeated testing that it becomes more top of mind. And, you know, you think about it, it's just like people are just being inundated with information. Uh, You know, how many emails do you get in a given day? How much of it is you know, how much of it's spam, and, you know, there's always, uh, if it's a really targeted attack, uh, they're going to put something in those emails or whatever the attack might be to really pique your curiosity, and you just got to be so uh, able to uh, see these situations are coming and know exactly what you're supposed to do without having to think about it, and that's what we try to do is just, through this repeated testing, help organizations reach that point. Larry, so I, I think that it's understandable for a large corporation, you know, to help them. Are are there, um, do you have resources for smaller companies, small and mid-sized companies? Because they're just as vulnerable, maybe not for these big targeted attacks like the Bank of America or something like that. But how about these medium-sized companies that, that are also vulnerable? Are there solutions 
Absolutely. And, and unfortunately for the small and medium-sized businesses, you know, the hacker uh, out there, the hacker communities uh, sort of wised up to the fact that the smaller and medium-sized businesses think that they're not as vulnerable to attack because they're not as well-known. And more and more statistics are coming out suggesting that a larger and larger percentage of these attacks are going against the small to medium-sized businesses. You know, it's just like a you know, a common criminal that walks into a neighborhood looking to break into a house, you know, are they going to look to the guy that has the security sign out front, right, or are right. they going to go to the house next door that doesn't? And nine times out of ten, they're going to go to the house next door that doesn't because it's, you know, easier to break in and life less likely that they'll ever get caught. Exactly. And um, there are more and more uh, solutions out there that are really being designed for the small to medium-sized businesses. We actually, as Digital Defense, we cut our teeth uh, with small to medium-sized financial institutions, and so our solutions are somewhat optimized for small to medium-sized businesses, and we uh, do everything we can, as well as other organizations out there, to try to leverage technology so that the Uh, ability to secure an organization or help them secure themselves is less costly uh, and more impactful to them. So, um, so unfortunately, the small to medium-sized businesses have to uh, increase the uh, uh, their uh, understanding of what the threat landscape is. They have to understand that uh, uh, there are people and organizations out there that are coming after them in a big way, and uh, unfortunately, they're going to have to to, uh, to to get prepared for it very quickly because it's happening very fast. Yes, yesterday I got a call from um, a small business that um, why this while the president of the company was out of town, nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars was transferred mm-hmm. from the business checking account to another to another account within the company and then transferred out and gold was bought and sent some to several places and supposedly also to his residence, which it never got there. Mm. And um, the Bank of America said, you know, they called immediately as soon as they found out, you know, that this has happened with maybe within a week. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, oh, we'll investigate. And then they didn't. And they said, "There's that money's lost. It's gone. And uh, so they called me, uh, and um, so I'm referring them on to litigation counsel. But um, this is the kind of stuff that you know, nine hundred fifty thousand dollars is not a drop in the bucket for for some for a small company at all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, and so we're seeing a lot of this kind of bank stuff go on. That seems to me that um, the bank should, if if it's out of the ordinary, the kinds of things that are out of the ordinary. The bank should immediately have some kind of a neural network that's alerting them that this is this is kind of weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just got the call and I'm trying to kind of wean them off me because um, I'm, you know, not able to help them right this moment. I have too many going on. Sure, sure. But um, but I I am trying to see what we can do. And law enforcement says basically, you know, we can't do anything without you know, the help of, of the bank, and the bank isn't really open to helping law enforcement. So, mm-hmm. um, And, you know, I mean, you know, from, from our perspective, uh, the financial institutions have been 
probably, uh, you know, more subjected to regulations, more subjected to uh, uh, the need to continually enhance their security uh, mechanisms, uh, you know, obviously driven by compliance, but, you know, obviously the, uh, the, uh, the why do people attack, uh, go after banks is because that's where the money is, right? So they have, uh, you know, they have continually tried to evolve their networks and their mechanisms. And, you know, they put a lot more things in place than they have ever before. Right. Uh, but the sophistication of the attacks continues to, uh, uh, to continue to, continues to trial those, uh, those different mechanisms they deploy. So it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's obviously a very complicated situation. Um, but, Larry, you know, I should tell you that, you know, I had um, an identity thief on my show a few years ago who, mm-hmm. who um, actually finally got caught, but he would go, he would actually pay insiders, mm-hmm. um, maybe managers of banks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd give them 10 grand and then they'd give him what he wanted. And so, there were these dirty insiders, which is, you know, well, you know, that's kind of a rough one because the bank could maybe be doing everything that they're supposed to be doing except for, you know, watching their their own employees. But um, that's how a lot of this stuff happens with dirty insiders. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing that we always encourage, and we're seeing more and more recommendations come out on this across the board, is that, uh, especially in the case of the network security, um, you know, the way in which organizations um, have been in the past is that they sort of design these networks with the objective of information sharing being one of the key drivers. Yeah. The concept being is that, you know, when when people have access to information, then, you know, the innovation's high, the creativity's high, the productivity's high. And what you're seeing is, especially in a lot of the technology firms out there, is basically making sure that organizations understand the importance of compartmentalization of the network from a security perspective. And one of the things that we do is we try to make sure that our client organization understand what information assets they possess and where they are actually located. So, for example, you might have credit card data on certain servers. You might have, uh, you know, uh, personally identifiable information in somebody's head. You know, it might be in uh, a certain process that uh, Billy Bob or Mary Sue has uh, walking around. And what we try to do is we make sure that organizations understand where these assets are and then go the next step of saying, okay, well, if those are where the assets are, how can we essentially establish zones around these assets? that raise up the security such that only certain people that have a need to access them uh, are able to access them. doesn't necessarily eliminate the uh, the scenario that you described just a minute ago in terms of, you know, yeah. uh, people uh, just basically being compromised from the perspective of being people, people paying them money to do so. Right. But it certainly reduces the risk. And we look at, the, we look at all security through risk management and uh, try to apply the different treatment options on risk uh, to these different scenarios to reduce the likelihood that there's any significant breach that will ever occur. Yeah. And limiting access and having, you know, audit trails mm-hmm. really helps. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Because uh, if you limit the access and then you know who's been there and you know where it's, but, you know, you look and say, ah, you know, employee XYZ was playing around that day mm-hmm. in this account. What? Why was that 
person there, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but if you let everybody get in there and you don't have any real audit trails, then it, you know, you can't get back there and find out it. I have to ask you, how did you be, get to be such a techie? <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually came back from the, uh, from the uh, early days. I uh, was strong in math and science in uh, high school. So I went on to uh, university and, uh, uh, basically got an electrical engineering degree from the University of Tennessee. So uh, living in South Texas now, I get really confused when people start chanting, Go UT. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I came out, and as you mentioned earlier, I came out into Nortel and uh, basically was initially focusing in on uh, different forms of technology to uh, to help uh, in the area of, uh, of communications and then uh, joined uh, Digital Defense. Actually, I was over in Hong Kong, believe it or not, for a couple of years. Mm, I love Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so wonderful. I had to drag my wife out of Hong Kong, <laughs> kicking and screaming. And uh, when yes. we landed in San Antonio, it took me a year to convince her there wasn't any oceanfront property here. So, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I transitioned from communications technology into security in uh, the 2002 timeframe. And mm. so... Uh, uh, so that's sort of the the background, if you will. Yeah, it's you know I just honor everybody who 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 gets this stuff and really knows it, and it's such really an important area to know. So why don't you tell us for for our businesses that are driving by now, what are the biggest security threats to watch out for in two thousand fourteen? You know, I, I would still argue that. You just really have to make sure that uh, you understand that there's going to be a lot of phishing attacks, a lot of different forms of malware malware out there. And just going back to my earlier comments is that anything that you can do to help bolster the understanding of your employee population, and, and I'm not talking about just focusing in on your IT security experts uh, or your you know folks in IT. I'm talking about making sure that the entirety of your employee population understands that uh, they're all a part of the solution, and they need to uh, you know be trained on how to effectively protect their organizations because unfortunately some of these breaches are so um, so significant uh, that they can be catastrophic to the business. And, uh, you know, if they want to protect their livelihood, they need to understand that the security training is, uh, is really designed to, uh, uh, to, to help make sure that, uh, that their jobs aren't in jeopardy from, from, a, from a breach uh, that could be significant. Yeah, and you know what really scares me more than even these corporations is that, you know, I'm thinking about all this infrastructure that we have and the security and how that could be messed up, you know, whether it's our water supply or our electrical supply or our sewage or, you know, gas. You know, it just, um, that's all on this one big network. And it's Absolutely. just, that's what scares me more than anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. People need to also understand that there's no silver bullet out there, yeah. and unfortunately, uh, whether or not it's in you know geared around protecting critical infrastructure, uh, or you know the the uh, the restaurant on the corner, uh, there's no silver bullet out there. Security requires um, you know a lot of attention. It requires that uh, you know a lot of due diligence be paid in terms of understanding. Uh, uh, what it is that uh, needs to be done in order to lock down the assets. Uh, 
you know, it, it's I, I sometimes quote the uh, the military generalist who uh, was from China that wrote the Art of War. Uh, you know, it's important to know your enemy, and it's important to know yourself. And yes. if you know your enemy and yourself, you won't be in peril in 100 battles, right? And uh, we're all about making sure organizations understand themselves and basically understanding what assets they have and what the uh, what the uh, uh, what the risks are to them. And, and that's a great way to end because, believe it or not, we are out of time. So. I want you to give your website. I know there there were so many more things I wanted to talk about, some of the great research that you've done, which I hope is on your website. Absolutely. And so why don't you give your website, and it's time to go, so we'll have to have you back again, Larry. Oh, thank you so much. It's www.ddifrontline.com. DDI is in Digital Defense Incorporated, frontline.com. And that's terrific. We'll find out about your research and all the great work you're doing. Larry Hurtado, thank you so much, and we'll, we'll see you soon, I hope. That sounds great. Okay, bye-bye, Larry. Care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and write us about what's important to you about information, this information age, and all of the challenges and all of the benefits. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.